was it bad? What was it like? Working with him, working with her. You'll hear all the tales you wish you knew. Every aspect of the theater too. Feel your love of Broadway anew. On backstage babble. Hi. This is Charles Kirsch, and welcome to Backstage Babble. Backstage Babble is a podcast interviewing professionals in the theater industry about themselves, their careers, and the people they've worked with along the way. And today, I am so happy to welcome our guest, the amazing Stephen Brinberg. As the premier Barbara Streisand impersonator, he has toured with his show Simply Barbara across the globe and has performed at the Kennedy Center, Avery Fisher Hall, and with the symphony orchestras of Dallas, Milwaukee, Buffalo, and Norfolk. He performed at Sondheim's birthday concert at Carnegie Hall with Uptown Express and on Broadway in the concert of Funny Girl with Whoopi Goldberg. His film credits include Camp, Boy's Life, and Next Year in Jerusalem, and his TV appearances include such shows as Rosie O'Donnell, Sally Jesse Raphael, Jerry Springer, and more. Out of drag, he appeared in Ken Page's Nightlife at MTC, and in Ivanov and the Wind-Up Toys. So, without further ado, Barbara Streisand, sorry, Stephen Brinberg. Yeah. Uh, so, I'd love to start by asking you how you first became interested in theater and singing and all of that. Well, I it, like a lot of people, I can't even remember when I wasn't interested in it. I mean, literally, I can remember, you know, watching like TV variety shows when I was probably two or three even. And it was just always something that appealed to me, not not performing per se, because I my first thought was just to be a writer or a director, but music and all that stuff, just that's all I ever cared about. <laughs> and still really like a lot of, like a lot of us, you know. And uh, how did that sort of turn into performing? Well, I went to like a performing arts camp um, where I was still kind of on the shy side and thinking I would still be a behind the scenes person. And I did, even before I went to that camp, I went to like a day camp and I like directed all these plays and things when I was like 10. Um, and I would give myself a part, but a small part. Like I, I wasn't after the lead. I was always more about the other people, I think. Um, so I kind of thought, well, you know, I'll just be a behind the scenes guy. But then in college, I, I took a singing class and I loved it so much. And I realized I could sing, which I never knew I could really sing. I would listen to every album that I had and I just sang like the person who was singing, not my own voice. So like if I was listening to Shirley MacLaine at the palace, I sang along to that record in her voice as her. So, but then when I took singing in college, I discovered my own voice that wasn't imitating somebody else because I always did imitations. And my own voice was like totally unknown to me. And I had this deep like, da, 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 da. I'm like, who's that? Oh, it's me. Um, and I kind of really enjoyed it. So that's when I started doing things and singing as myself. And that's what I've been doing ever since. I mean, I still don't have the great need to be on stage in front of people, but I do really totally enjoy the performing. And what's odd about it is 
in a way it's almost not that it's easy to do it and doesn't require effort but it's much harder to like write and do things you know in volume and bulk whereas if somebody gives you the chance to perform you just do it so it kind of sort of works for me now because <laughs> I'm not disciplined enough to sit and finish writing all the plays and musicals and things that I want to do but if someone says there's a show next week you want to do it I'm like sure let's do it and you know theater as opposed to movies you can get it going really quickly yeah you know it doesn't have to take years sometimes you know if somebody gave me a job in a month from now and said you I want you to do a show all about you know the Bergmans or whatever I would come up with a full show and have it ready to go you know in weeks really I've done things faster than that so that's that's the fun part of it and that's the the plus of also not just being someone who wants to perform where they say here perform but I'll perform but I can also write it and create it and do all that too so kind of (laughs) handy so So how how did your family and the people around you feel about your choice to be a performer well you know I think like any Jewish family you get the classic you have to have something to fall back on thing but I think once they saw how much I loved it and how good they thought I was at it they were very supportive and they loved it and they came to all the shows and you know because they all all loved music and theater and movies and you know it's sort of I grew up going to see things with them so it's you know I don't know how much is ingrained in you and how much whether I would have found it even if I wasn't in New York even if my parents weren't into it it, you know who can say (laughs) And what were some of the early shows that you saw? Oh, my gosh. Well, the first show I ever saw was Fiddler on the Roof, late, late, late in the run. It was like a big event in those days, you know, so I was a kid. So we saw Fiddler on the Roof, I think, for my birthday. My sister, her birthday is the day after mine. So we always celebrate together. And I think our grandparents took us to Fiddler on the Roof. And then two whole years went by before I saw another show. That was the longest gap since this last year and year, I think. Um, and then Mame was the second show near the very end of that run. Um, and then the third one, I think, was Ethel Merman, Hello Dolly. Oh. Wow. So yeah, I, I can easily rattle off like the first dozen shows I think I've seen. And then it gets a little blurry because there's been, I literally don't know how many shows I've seen I have all the playbills so I could find out someday but I do know when I counted my playbills when I saw dream girls that was like number 100 so given how many years ago that was how often I go it's got to be in the thousands I would think and who were some of the performers who were not Barbara who inspired you at this time uh, Julie Andrews was really the first one that I was totally obsessed with I mean Mary Poppins and Thoroughly Modern Millie and Star and all those movies. I just loved her. And, you know, she had a TV variety show when I was a kid. And I remember I wrote to her and got a beautiful picture back. And what's interesting is the Julie Barbara parallel, Julie's career, movie career started to go down after Star because that was not a success. Although now I think a lot of people, including me, really love it. Um, That sort of tanked around the same time Funny Girl the movie so it's almost like Julie's career started to go down a little in the movies and then as Barbara's began and then almost simultaneously I got into Barbara 
but um, I still love Julie Andrews and a million other people besides Barbara too. But yeah. she was really the first one I remember, you know, like I had my tonsils out and I wouldn't get my tonsils out until I got the album of Thoroughly Modern Millie. <laughs> and when I woke up after my tonsils were out, my father handed me the album. <laughs> so I was so happy, yeah. But I loved all those people. I mean, I also watched a lot of TV growing up at that time, you know, so I liked Elizabeth Montgomery and Bewitched and Marlo Thomas and That Girl and all those fun shows like that. I mean, I mean, that's also when variety shows were on their way out. So like Carol Burnett, I couldn't stay up late enough to watch her show. And then let, in the second half of her run, she finally moved to like first eight o'clock on Wednesdays, which was, I was still up. And then on the weekend she was on. So that was fine to stay up later. Yeah. Um, but you know, be, before you could record things and stuff like that. Yeah. And, and Carol Burnett, I always loved because, you know, she just always had music and, and, and I loved her singing in particular, not just how funny she was, but I just always thought she was a great singer of big brassy songs, but also quiet, kind of like Liza, who I also love so much, you know, could do either equally well, you know, like Ethel Merman, who I love, you don't think of her for the quiet, <laughs> quiet, yeah. it's all, it's all big all the time, really, yeah. mostly, but these other musical ladies, they're just, it's great when they can switch gears. And then how does Barbara first come into your life? Well, I guess I, I have a vague recollection of watching her on TV. And then I think from, from Funny Girl on, I was just totally crazy about her. Although I think I didn't really get deeply into it till probably Funny Lady, because by then I was older and aware of, you know, when something's coming out and where it's playing and getting all the albums. And that's when I collected all of her albums. Like each week I would go to Alexander's in the Bronx and buy another Barbara album. Cause by then she'd already been a recording star for like 14 years. So I had to catch up on all the old ones and they weren't expensive. And each one was, one was greater than the other. You know, the, they were all those Peter Matz albums which were just phenomenal. And I got to know him a little later on. Um, so yeah, that was, it was, it was funny lady onward, I think. Um, I mean, I'm still going through piles of, uh, you know, I saved every clipping that would be about her and I just found one and it said uh, Barbara shouldn't be too upset about the reviews of all night long her latest movie because it's all but certain she's going to star in the movie of Evita you know this gossip that even it's worse now with the internet but back then the newspapers were also filled with falsehoods or rumors and things that never happened and I've got piles of those it's really hilarious to read them oh. you know especially about Evita I mean Everybody was mentioned for Evita, you know, everybody, Granny from the Beverly Hillbillies was going to play Evita. <laughs> so that's really, it's really fun to look at that stuff now. Yeah. And was impersonating her, did that sort of come along with it right then or did that not come? No, along? it didn't even occur to me. I wish it had because I probably could have started doing my barber shows years before I ever did them because I had the ability to do her, but I didn't really pursue it like when I was in high school I think that was the first time I put down my singing on a tape to a to a blank track and I you know my father found it and he said I found this tape and it has your name on it but it's not you it's Barbara Streisand I said no that's me 
He was like, you're kidding. And then I did it for a friend of mine and her mother. And I remember her mother said, why are you wasting time in school? You should go, you should start performing. And I was still like too shy. And I just sort of put it to the side, but I guess a spark was in there. And then when I finally started doing her, you know, I just thought, wow, I, again, I could have done this long ago. <laughs> a lot of the songs that I still sing were old then, you know, her early, some of her early hits. It's just fun. But it's also fun because, you know, having doing somebody current as opposed to say Judy or someone who's not with us anymore, I just can constantly change the show and anything that's happening with her. I mean, they just announced this week, she has a new album of old songs and so I can talk about that and it's 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 great. It just feeds feeds the show, her her life and her movements. And, of course, there are these other sort of divas that you admire and even that you do oh God, sometimes. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah, well, well uh, yeah, I discovered kind of recently, well, in the last couple of years that I could do Cher almost as well as Barbara, even though it's a totally different part of my voice. For Barbara, I have to go, all the way up there and share is basically the male register you know, <laughs> you know. um i've thought of doing a, sh a whole share show and i probably could look more like share but it would be a challenge because share is kind of all about what she's wearing more than how she sounds and also i don't think i could do a whole show of all that dance music that she's known for i, I would do a show like share sings broadway which she has done a fair bit of on her TV show. And she always says she wanted to go to Carnegie Hall and sing standards. So one of these days I'll, I'll do that. I think it would be funny because oh. uh, she's still so popular, like Barbara. The, you know, the same ladies that I liked 100 years ago, Barbara, Liza and Carol Burnett, they're all still here and they're all still great. And it's, you know, timeless talents, not, no, certainly not a flash in the pan. Yes, yes. Any of them. <laughs> And what was it that inspired you so much about Barbara? Was it her story at all or just her great singing? It was, you know, we certainly have similarities. I mean, I always say my grandfather's sister looks like Barbara's mother. I'm sure if you go back into Russia, you'll find some connection somewhere, you know, even if it's not on ancestry or whatever. But so it's that similar sensibility that a lot of people I think feel about Barbara, but it was really the, the talent that was so inspiring. I mean, nobody ever looked like her in the movies until she came along. And, you know, the voice, it's just such a distinctive voice. Like all the others that I love, like Liza, it's not, Liza, it's not just about her voice. It's the personality and the sparkle. And, and well, Barbara, it's not just her voice either, but the voice is first. So like the, the thrill of her is, you know, you put on a, an album and the first thing you just hear is, you're like, you just, you sit up and I mean, it's pretty, pretty unique. You know, a lot of people have come along since her trying to evoke that style, but she sort of set the, the bar. And do you still enjoy performing as yourself or do you prefer to? Oh, yeah. Well, I, I love when I get to do it now because, see, I used to be scared when I did it at first. And then when I did Barbara, I would, would never be scared because I was hiding behind the costume. You know, I could, I could be on stage in front of 3,000 people. I have not nervous at all. And then 
if I'm going to a party and want to say hello to somebody, it's just not my nature. I'm introvert. And, uh, but the experience of doing Barbara has made it much more comfortable when I'm not dressed like her. And I've been doing more and more things where I'm singing as myself or just singing in my male voices, whether it's Anthony Newley or now I've just added Louis Armstrong and Eve Montand to my oh. male impressions for this new show. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's easy. It's easier now to be me, and it, and it's actually it's certainly physically more enjoyable when I can leave the costume and the wig and the makeup and all that stuff home because that's that's the hardest part of the job. You know, someone will say, "Can you come to this event and just sing?" You only have to sing one song. I'm like, "Well, if I sing as Barbara," so I'm like, "If I sing one song or a hundred songs, it's the same hour and a half paint job." which is just, it's the least fun part of the job, you know. Yeah. I mean, I always like to joke and say every um, man should get uh, dressed up as a woman once and they'll never complain again that their wife isn't ready. <laughs> go, you know, it just takes longer, <laughs> you know. Most guys can just roll out of bed and they look fine, but most women, they feel they have to do more, so that's that's the do more part the, the costume the wig and um, how did you sort of find the look of her and of you and where that also well when I started it I wasn't I hadn't been thinking of doing how she looks now or how she looked then when I started the show when she started doing concerts again and um I think someone suggested why don't you try the her old look so my first look was basically like the 19 early 60s Barbara, the sailor outfit and the old Bob and everything. But then not long after that, I sort of shifted to trying to look as much as I could, like she does in the present, the longer hair that, you know, I'm waiting for her to have a shorter haircut. She just won't do it. Because um, I always thought she looked good with shorter hair and also with her hair up. But I think that, that long hair is here to stay. So I have to <laughs> keep the wigs looking like that, I suppose. Uh, although one day I'd like, I th I've thought of doing like, you know, the seven stages of Barbara and then do all her looks through years. Or what I really like to do is do a show like a merrily we roll along look at Barbara. So start the show now. And then by the end of the show, I'm back to where she was in the 60s with so start and end with Happy Days Are Here Again as she did them in the 60s in the present day um someday <laughs> oh and do you have a favorite era of her or decade well yeah I would say obviously the 60s and the the 70s I mean the 70s especially because that's when I was old enough to remember and be aware of her and what she was doing so it was like so in such anticipation each time an album would come out but really those 60s I, you know I, to me that's the golden age of everything of <laughs> movie musicals, of TV variety specials, and of Broadway musicals, more than, you know, people think it's the 40s and the 50s and Rodgers and Hammerstein. To me, it's the 60s and what those albums sound like. They're to just, me, they sound as fresh as, as if they were new, yeah. those 60s cast recordings. They're just so exciting to hear the, the overtures and, the all, you know, I love it. It's all, I, it's partially because they're in stereo, <laughs> pre-stereo stuff sometimes just sounds a little flat to me you know even classics but uh, six, 60s onward well not how many times have you had the chance to see her live 
I've been lucky. I mean, even though I never saw her on stage in a musical, yeah, you know, I, I always say I would probably trade every concert that I've seen to have seen her once in, you know, Funny Girl. But the first time I saw her, it was quite remarkable that I that I was there. She had a concert in her backyard and it was called One Voice. And uh, it was the first concert she was doing a full concert in like, oh, you know, 15 years or something since she had played in Vegas, I guess in 71. And it was in her backyard and you couldn't get a ticket and the tickets were really expensive. Um, and I knew somebody who knew somebody who could get us in at a ridiculous price. And I just told my parents, you know, she might never sing again, which is the, what they always used every time she did a show. This might be it. She might never sing again. And what was, you know, what's that old, what are those bar mitzvah checks for that I got? You know, this is like, <laughs> I have to go. And amazingly, they let me go. And I, the audience was probably only like 500 people in total. It was like, it was shaped like the Delacorte in Central Park. So we were in the last row, but you're still there watching her live. Like when she started to sing and I looked at my friends, I was like, you're really listening to her. This isn't a record. And then of course, all around us is Goldie Hawn and Jane Fonda and Bette Midler, like about to give birth to her daughter. She was so pregnant, Whoopi Goldberg. I mean, it was quite astonishing to, to be there and see that. And then I saw her in a couple of benefits after that. And then of course I've seen each tour. And the most exciting one to see was, I was performing in Australia when she was in Australia. And by then I had started working with Marvin Hamlish. So he got my pianist and myself tickets to her show. So it was like the fourth row in Sydney seeing Barbara and it was like oh my god this is like amazing um and yeah I've, I've seen her ever since so I mean I know there's some insanely serious Barbara fans out there who probably of a certain age maybe actually saw I can get it for you wholesale and funny girl but how many were in the concert in her backyard and saw her in like Sydney oh and then she also performed at a memorial for Marvin at Juilliard which I was invited to. So I've, you know, I've been lucky to see her a lot. Yeah. yeah. Um, which is, you know, something that I didn't think was possible when it just seemed like she was never going to be singing. But it turns out she's, in the la last year, she's been singing a lot, which is why some people think, you know, the prices should come down <laughs> because it's not so rare anymore. Pe yeah. People famously announce a farewell tour and then they never go anywhere like Barbara, like Cher. But the I found the opposite to be true. Like I, I really enjoyed seeing the nightclub shows of Shirley MacLaine and Anne Margaret. They put on wonderful, wonderful shows and they just stopped one day without saying goodbye. So that was the opposite of farewell, not going anywhere. They just stop. I mean, they still make movies, but they just stopped doing stage shows, mostly because I think they both did a lot of dancing. And now they're in their 80s. They're not going to do that anymore. But I wish I'd had some warning because I might have seen them more than I had. But uh, their shows were always amazing. Yeah. yeah. You know. And what are some of Barbara's mannerisms in performance that you sort of latched? Oh, my goodness. There's so many that oh. just come naturally to me and to her. One of the biggest ones is before I do anything, I usually just go, 
<sighs> it's like a sigh. And you hear that, I think, in the beginning of um, What's Up Doc before she sings You're the Top. And I know she does it in other places. And once I got a review that said they thought the sigh meant there, I just took a breath that should make you thrilled before I've even done anything, which is kind of like true, you know. So that's one, the pushing the hair out of her face, the opposite hand. I think she's left-handed, so maybe that's why it's the opposite hand. Oh God, there's so many. The, the kind of, the whisper, you know, that I do sometimes, like, I was going to sing that song, but I'm not anymore. You know, kind of like an, an angry whisper, maybe. <laughs> and then, of course, all the, the Jewish-isms that just, again, come naturally, like talking very elegantly, and then all of a sudden, the other voice comes out, the old her, you know. Uh, <laughs> so, uh yeah, there's a lot. They've morphed into me. Like like I always say when I started doing the show, I did not go back and study her at all or listen to her more than I already had. It's just in there. I know how she would do things. And that's why it's been really fun when I sing a song that she hasn't done. And then she eventually did it. Like when, just... when all that stuff about her doing Gypsy was happening, I, of course, opened the act with some people. And I, I think I sang goodbye to blueberry pie good riddance to all those fuckers i said hello to you know i, I totally crafted it to her and then she later did do a little of some people in her act um but i'm still doing that like i i do ribbons down my back which of course she didn't get to sing in dolly but would have been beautiful and more than once she's gone on to do something that i had done and i forget which one it was but in one case it was almost note for note what i had imagined where she would bend the note and change it and hold the note. Like everything's coming up roses. She actually hasn't done publicly. So knowing her sound as well as I do, I pictured her saying, uh, you know, where you go, where it's supposed to be, everything's coming up roses, now's your inning. And it would be like, everything's coming up roses, <laughs> now. You know, like, I just know she, what she would do. <laughs> So this leads me to sort of the obvious question, which is how much does she know about you and what you do? Oh, she knows about me because her like entire team has all seen me, you know, going back to Marvin and to Richard J. Alexander, her director, who's performed with me um, and her latest, her whole team of Jay Landers and uh, Walter Anshafe and all those, her conductor, Bill Ross, they all came to see me in L.A., so um, she knows, I mean, she knows that it's not mean, it's just in good taste always, you know, even if it's funny, satirical. It's, I mean, um, that's why I think I was picked to do Donna Karen's birthday party when she could come. It's, you know, my, my greatest wish is to not just sing with her in a duet, but to have her actually sit in the audience and watch a whole show if she could actually do it without the audience watching her which is what started to happen when Liza came to see my show and then she moved so they weren't like bothering her um, to watch the show and then say, I really love that one number. If you just hold your finger, your index finger up a little farther at the end of the note, it'll be perfect. You know, like have her direct it. You know, I, I, my dream, I think, is to have her direct my Las Vegas residency that she would never do, but that I would love to do. So in other words, she's even said she loves putting together shows and directing them. It's just the doing them that she finds a chore. Because I guess even if you're actually a woman, putting on makeup and all that stuff can be as annoying as it is for a man. 
ladies don't enjoy that. So that would be kind of cool to have her, you know, direct my act as her. Yeah. You know, I won't hold my breath, but it would be it would be nice. If she were to say to you, let's do a duet, what song would you want it to be? Would well, you- I think my first instinct would be uh, one of my favorites, which I recorded actually uh, with Debbie Gravitt, which was One Less Bell, House Is Not a Home, where she sang it with herself on a Burt Backrack TV show. And it's two of her filmed separately. And then at one point, there's three of her. <laughs> um, that would be pretty amazing because that's one of my favorites. But if not... There's lots of other duets I'm sure I could come up with. Um, you know, on my CD and also in my earlier shows, I sang a lot of duets with other female singers. Um, but then it it seemed it worked much better in the shows when I sang with a man, because for me as a man, emulating Barbara's female voice to sing opposite a, a full-throated female, like a Karen Mason has sung with me, it's sort of like, tricky because the the real lady can sing full out in her thing and I only have limited power as a lady and it's also much funnier the banter with a with a male like leading man guest star because they play with my nails and I play with their hair and they start to sing and I'm and I say not yet you know whereas if I did that to with a lady that's kind of bitchy which I'm I am not so it's morphed into almost always male singers with Barbara with with me well and and with her too I noticed in her tours that's where they sort of blend like stuff stuff that I've said or done has kind of found a way into her tours occasionally um it's you know it's knowing the mutual people in one of the tours I forget she said something that totally sounded like me where I think she played the recording of her at like 12 doing a demo and you can hear her telling the pianist, no, no, do it that way, do, you know. And then she actually said in, this, in the show, I wasn't trying to be difficult. I guess it just came naturally. That was totally like a Simply Barbara line, not a Barbara Streisand line, which was great. Her sense of humor has really gotten great, greater over the years. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't, she wasn't always known for it. She's just so serious, a serious person, which there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Uh, and what is your, I'd be curious to know, your favorite and least favorite movie of hers? Oh my gosh. It's, I would, it's hard to say. I think those first three movies are equally my favorite. I mean, she's really lucky that she came along just before that era ended. Because those first three movies are a, an absolute feast for the eyes and the ears in every way. I mean, the the songs, the way she looks, she's funny. Everything she can do is in those first three films. And then I would say probably, not that the first Meet the Fockers wasn't very funny, but, and Um, that one used her a lot more. The second one, that's probably, I guess, everyone's least favorite, probably including hers. Um, Although I know she said she wasn't fond of uh, What's Up Doc, which is surprising, Um, or maybe for Pete's sake, which she called stupid I think in an interview you know I can quote interviews she gave a thousand years ago it's hilarious she said she proved she could make movies where she didn't have to sing so like uh you know she said the way we were and she said and in its own stupid way for Pete's sake I think at the time following the way we were which was so successful and really wonderful for Pete's sake which was successful but it was very silly at the time I think 
maybe she thought that was like a step back, but now when movie comedy movies are sometimes really long, not funny and really vulgar, for Pete's sake, it's really quite funny if you look at it now. And it has Molly Pecan um, in it and Estelle Parsons. And so, yeah, I, I would say Little Fockers is, is probably the worst one. And it's the smallest part in any movie so far. <laughs> I hope there's more, I really do. Oh yeah. More movies. Because I think she's so great on screen. You sort of just can't take your eyes off her. I mean, I would go see a lot of those movies when they came out multiple times. And each time I would like find something else once I was actually able to look away from her and look at somebody else. <laughs> That's how I think riveting she is. And having been and being so close to so many who are close to her, as you were saying, what has been some of the sort of advice that they've given you about how to imitate her? Well, they've not really um, given me advice. In fact, one, I forgot who it was, wanted me to do the stereotypical impression of her, which is when people, well, you can't see, like cross your eyes. And oh, I always thought everyone who did her, a lot of people who did her, overdid it. And to me, I approached it like I'm just really trying to channel her and be her and not do really any more than she does. I mean, I kind of think like I just watched that Halston series and Krista Rodriguez is playing Liza and I thought she was just great. I mean, she wasn't trying to imitate her voice, but she was playing her as an actual person. And that's kind of how I view the the Barbara. I'm just, I'm playing her. I'm trying to do what she would do not necessarily what she did because I'll tell stories and say things and people will say that one story is that true and I'll say no I, I invented that what about that other story that one's true like it's a mix of you know the real and the unreal but that's why I've never um I've had several people say you should put putty on your nose so it'll be bigger and you'll look more like her and I was like you missed the point if you think I have to wear a fake knows to do her I won't I just won't you know I mean I, I'm I gladly accept help with the hair and makeup when when offered just, I'm almost offended by the idea of making her nose bigger and I don't have like a tiny nose either so it's the it's the nails that I find are the most characteristic of her in photographs in certainly in a lot of the films in those first three films they're just such a part of her essence the fingernails. I used to think, well, maybe I can do the whole show sometime without being dressed if I just wear a tuxedo and nails, even just a couple of nails so that I can stroke my hair, you know, long nails. And that's something I could never have without fake nails because I bite my nails um, all the time. <laughs> can't, can't break the habit. I've tried. Well, I tried again before the pandemic. And then once that happened, I just let it go <laughs> wasn't gonna happen what is a movie or musical that you would like to see barbara do uh, oh my god well you know i always thought she should do ballroom um because you know the bergmans her friends wrote it and billy goldenberg who was such a wonderful guy um who wrote a song that she did for up the sandbox and i just think that would be a perfect role i think it would be a, a, a really interesting and deeply moving musical. I mean, I know it's hard to sell things that aren't flashy and I mean, and flashy and fun or, I mean, I always like to joke that um, 
you know, movie musicals were big up until about after Funny Girl and everything, and then they disappeared for a long time. You would get maybe one or two a year. Um, and then with Chicago, they really started to come back. But then you think of the common denominator, why are they back? It's like, well, Chicago was a big hit because it's a great musical, but it it also had sex and violence. So other people could find something interesting. And then like Hairspray, that sort of appeals to teens. It's like that big old fashioned, you know, Follies, of course, is the other one that I think she could do. You just have to make those four people older than 50, make them all 60 or something. And then you could have Barbara and Meryl Streep and, you know, but Ballroom, I think, would just be really, that original film with Maureen Stapleton, I watched with my mother and we were both in tears. Um, and the musical sort of was not as emotionally moving, but then they reworked it. And um, I saw a production last year and it still has the power to be moving. That would be a, that would be a great one for her to do. Uh, there's probably others. I mean, maybe she could play Molly Pecan's part in Milk and Honey. <laughs> uh, or you know something original in my in my dreams Stephen Sondheim just writes a completely original movie musical for Barbara oh. how about that you know I kind of wish she'd been offered the part of the witch and into the woods I don't think she was that would be great that would have been great yeah but yeah somebody could come up with something I mean it's Barbara for goodness sakes <laughs> um, well I'd love to talk about some of the things that you did before you were simply Barbara, like Ivanov and the wind-up toys. Oh, yes. Um, uh, the wind-up toys was this play by this playwright named Sylvia Reagan, who wrote a very successful play called The Fifth Season. And that was just like a reading, basically. Uh, one of the first things I did um, while I was in college, actually. And that was really fun. I, I remember David Rashi was in it, an actor. Um, Ivanov was the first really professional play that I did. It was off-Broadway at the Jewish Repertory Theater. And what was interesting was we had a wonderful cast, um, which included an actor named Roger DeCoven, who had played Siegfeld in Funny Girl, the original oh. Siegfeld. And he told me he loved Barbara. He loved working with her. And there was another wonderful actor named William Lee Messina, who had been in the movie of Carousel and in Blythe Spirit with Geraldine Page. You know, there was a lot of powerhouse people in there an actress named Marsha Jean Kurtz you know I just had a small part as like a servant or something but it was such great experience and I loved doing it you know I, I mean I loved that was the first time I was in something like that where and I had to make a long journey from the Bronx all the way to 14th street in the winter in the snow to be in this play like six times seven times a week and I was never so happy in my life. It was just such a wonderful feeling to be with all those people. And I don't always get that doing my own solo show where I have one pianist and one guest. It was really kind of great. And this begins the second part of my interview with Barbara Streisand impersonator Steven Brinberg, which was recorded at a later date than what you just heard. <laughs> well, so I, I'd love to pick up by actually going back a little and asking you about how the show first started at Don't Tell Mama? Oh yeah, well, um, that was when I first decided to do it. And I only booked like four shows, like four Saturdays in a row. Cause I just wanted to see, you know, if it would be worthwhile or not. And literally I would say a few weeks, either yeah. after I booked the show or after I started the show, I can't remember now, is when Barbara 
announced she was doing her first concerts in like 27 years. I was like, wow, this is kind of eerie that we're paralleling each other like that. So the four weeks turned into like three years. I did it like almost every Saturday night for three years there. And, um, and I've basically been doing one version of it or another since then, you know, constantly changing it as she did. So the first show was, I think I just called it simply Barbara, the like butter tour. I have the old flyers somewhere. And then, then I think I was off for the holidays. And then the next one was called back from Vegas because she had just played Las Vegas. And then, you know, I would say about a couple of years later is when she got married again. So I called that the wedding tour. <laughs> that's why on my live CD, which is kind of hard to find, um, I open up by singing, um, I do, I do, and um, Sadie, say, Sadie, Sadie, I do, I do. It's like a medley. And uh, then she released, maybe that was before, she released the movie, The Mirror Has Two Faces. So I called that The Singer Has Two Faces. Um, you know, just all different themes. And, and sometimes I don't have a subtitle. It'll just be like, you know, Simply Barbara, which sometimes people will think, well, is that the name of the show or is that your name? I'm like, well, that's my character. So it can just sort of be simply Barbara in concert. And, you know, I'll always change it up. I mean, last night I would say it was more than 50% stuff that I'd never done before. Um, but then of course, no matter what the theme is, I still have to sing people and throw into my parade and all the hits, just as she does on her tours, which she changes the titles and changes it up. But a few of those songs, they have to be in there or people will riot <laughs> i'm afraid so yeah so it was basically just um from don't tell mama is what basically people would come and see me famous people not famous people and that's what basically got me all over the world from people seeing me there it's what's sort of frustrating now that most of where i perform is usually not in the city like i'll only perform one or two shows a year in the city because places don't want to have you week after week after week, like I did back then. So when you're not in the city, people in the city are like, gee, whatever happened to him. <laughs> but then you're on the road, you know, you don't want to turn down work wherever it is. So it's kind of catch 22. But uh, now with the internet, you know, even if you're not in the city, people can hear about it and read about it and see it, you know? Yeah, but that's, that's really where so many people came to see me for the first time, like Liza and, and Sondheim and um, I did do a, a show for a run downtown at a theater across from the public theater. And that's when Arthur Lawrence came to see me, which was really exciting because Stephen Sondheim sent him. I mean, I can't make this up. It's just, oh my God, you know, surreal. The, the, the idols sitting, your idols sitting in the audience is just like, it's unbelievable to me, really. <laughs> yeah. And what have been some of the most sort of memorable backstage visits or anything like that from people? Oh my gosh. Well, certainly Sondheim and Arthur Lawrence and Liza Minnelli and um, Patricia Neal, Terrence McNally, when he came, then he decided to have me do a, um, a concert, host a concert. And he wrote the narration for me as Barbara, which was like wild. Um even though I had to sort of argue with him like Barbara about a couple of things that I didn't agree with that he wrote. Um, it's just so funny. And Marvin Hamlish actually had not come to see my show. He heard my CD and that's how that whole relationship started. I actually just mailed him one 
after I'd been doing it for quite a while. And then I thought, you know, I should just mail one to Marvin. He'd probably like it. And he got it and then called me immediately, actually. Uh, so you never know where your next uh, gig or next celebrity is going to come from. You know, Barbara's sister came to see me and um, Lainey Kazan and Michelle Lee and Linda Lavin and oh, just so many people that I love so much. So to have them in the house and hear them laughing and it's just kind of amazing to yeah. me. I can't even keep track anymore of the ones that um, came to see it and then performed with me too. Like, like Audrey McDonald actually saw my show a couple of times, I think before she actually sang with me. Or maybe she sang with me, she saw it once before she sang with me and then came to see it again after. So um, it's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah. how did that initial call from Marvin Hamlish turn into the touring together? Was that what he suggested? It, or? Yeah, it was quite amazing. He, um, I sent him my CD and he said, um, you know, we're about to do another concert. This was, I guess, her second farewell tour in Las Vegas on New Year's Eve. And he said, I'm thinking of having a bit in the show where she says, you know, I'm so busy. Sometimes I wish there were two of me and then you would appear. He said, I don't know if you'd be on the stage with her but we'd have some kind of bit. And I'm like, that sounds wonderful. He said, get me a whole bunch of copies of your, your CD, this live in London CD. I said, sure. So I sent them to him. And then this is what's so funny. A couple of days later, I hear from somebody who's working on Bette Midler's show in Las Vegas on New Year's Eve. And they wanted to know if I was available to appear in her show. Oh. And I said, well, if Barbara Streisand doesn't use me, then I'd love to be with Bette Midler. <laughs> I mean, it was just crazy. And um, then it turns out Bette Midler didn't want anybody to sing. She just wanted somebody more like a drag queen kind of bit to say where she would say, what are you doing here? And she was supposed to say, well, I'm looking for my husband. Why would your husband be here? Well, he couldn't afford the tickets to my show. You know, it was like kind of a gag. I mean, I would have done it, but I didn't want to give up a barber thing. So then like a few days went by, I guess. And then Marvin called and he said, all the copies that I sent him that he asked for, Barbara's whole team loved it. But this show was only like a couple of weeks away. So most of it was written already. And it was written around this young girl who played young Barbara, Lauren Frost was her name. And he thought it might've been overkill to have me and this young girl sort of evoking young Barbara. He said, but I think you're great. And I hope to work with you again very soon. I'm like, okay, great. And then I think maybe a month later, he called me to do the first of our symphony shows with him and Barbara Cook in Pittsburgh and at the Kennedy Center. And that was just amazing. I mean, I remember that was, I guess, maybe about three years before Sweet Smell of Success. And Barbara Cook sang that gorgeous song from the show, I Cannot Hear the City. And then the next time I think I was with Marvin, that little girl, Lauren Frost, who was why I sort of didn't do the other tour, was in the show with us then and I got to know her. And so, um, yeah, so he basically just, he certainly kept his word. And oh, and what was really funny about our show with Barbara um, Cook, we were supposed to arrive there like a day or two before the concert and rehearse. And there was like some huge blizzard and we literally didn't get to Pittsburgh until you know several hours before I think the show so I literally had not met Marvin up until that point I only spoke with him on the phone although he was so easy to talk to 
you know, if you're in, you were intimidated at all, or anyone was intimidated by how famous he was, and you know the egot and all that, he was just so down to earth. He sound, he reminded me of like one of my cousins, you know, just this nice guy. Um, so literally, I basically said, met him and shook his hand, and two seconds later, he was playing people for me at the piano. It was it was just like, oh my god, this is like I'm jumping right in, you know, and it was and it was great. And it was so nice to to get to know Barbara Cook a little. I mean, she took me to eat after all the shows and just a, a great, great lady. And um, we got to do that there and in DC. Um, and then the next set of shows with Marvin several years later were the first of the ones with Julie. But yeah, working with him was just, it was really amazing. Amazing. Just, you know, and I remember asking him questions like, you know, I said, when you do these shows with Barbara, does she come in and say this is what we're going to do and this is how it is he said not at all she only wants to hear what everybody else thinks and because you know she used to get in trouble for always giving her opinion and telling directors why don't we do it this way and she even when she directs she is happy to hear other people's ideas because it only you know good might come of it somebody you know why should anybody be so you know afraid to hear anyone else's view. So, I mean, some directors don't want to hear anyone else's idea, but not not Barbara. So he he loved her. You know, they were very close. So um, it was, and and it was really flattering when I, he told his wife, who I'm still very friendly with. Um, he said, "When you listen to this, this is as close as you're going to get to her," which I just thought was amazing. You know coming from him. And did he sort of tell you anything about how to sort of be more like her or anything like that? Or No, he, but he, he was so funny. He would, um, like a lot of the time we'd spend backstage, you know, after the show or before the show, a, a lot of it was just, cause I usually entered the show at the top of act two. So we were always in wings together waiting to go on um, before each show. So we'd have like time to just you know, blab. And he said, we're going to go out for custard tonight. This was like in Wisconsin or something, Milwaukee. Oh, that's great. And then one night he just looked at me and he said, Barbara, I want to raise. Because, <laughs> you know, I think she got like $20 million for one of those um, concerts. And, you know, he said, I certainly didn't get that much, you know, I'm like, well, and I think I said in her voice, well, Marvin, you know, you're not the artist, you're just the pianist. And he laughed and I could always make him laugh, which he, which he really liked, I think because he was just such a funny guy. You need to go to eat with him and he's laughing and just a great guy. And you know, he had a lot of health issues later on. And I remember once we went to dinner, I think it was me and him and probably Julie Budd and he had already become like a vegetarian. And yet he took us to like a steak place because he thought it was such a good restaurant. I mean, he loved, he was such a foodie, yeah. you know, and, and he and Barbara, they always would talk about you'd finish lunch and then all you talk about is where you're going to have dinner, which is like, he would always say, that's a Jewish thing. And it is, yeah. you know, where are we going to eat? What are we going to eat? You know, <laughs> it's all about the food and the family and the guilt. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, um, so yeah, doing that stuff with him was, was just amazing. And what was the sort of concept that he had for the show and how to? Well, he always brought me out. Um, I think we planned that together actually. So he would sit down and start to play. He says, you know, when you write for somebody specific, 
you write for their strengths. So when I write for Barbara Streisand, you always want to let her hum because that's just so iconic the way she does that. So he would start to play the beginning of the way we were. He said, look, you play this. And I would be in the wings humming. And then he would like turn his face like, oh my God, oh my God, she's here. And then I would come out and we'd like banter. And then I did a big number with the 80 piece orchestra, which is just unreal. And then I would do um, You Don't Bring Me Flowers, which was always like the 11 o'clock number in my show where I would do Barbara and the male voice. And he would play the piano with me, Marvin. And sort of the end of that song, after I've been going, you know, you don't say you need me. You don't sing me love songs. And the last note, you don't bring me flowers, Danny. And Marvin or whoever was the pianist would sing that last note with me. And I would often have, in a lot of my shows, people would say to me, how did you do those two different voices at the end? And I'm like, I guess you were just looking at me. You didn't see that was the pianist singing the last note. You know, I could do a lot with my voice, different voices, but I can't make two separate sounds at the same time. That hasn't been invented yet. But, and then he would always do that number because um, again, it would change how fast I would switch voices. So it would be like, used to be so natural. You talk about forever. Ooh. And he, when we would rehearse, he'd say, I love that part. That's my favorite part. So when I sing that song, I think of him when I do that. And it's funny, we we did it only once in New York at this big event that was at Symphony Space where we had um, Ben Vereen and Lucy Arnaz and Victor Garber and all these great people. And Marvin played for me and I sang that. We never got to do a symphony in New York because he actually wasn't the head of any of the New York pops you know he was at Pittsburgh and DC and then he would be like a guest conductor in uh we were in Norfolk Virginia and Oklahoma City and Buffalo and I've got it written down somewhere the the dozen or so cities we managed to uh play and uh San Diego we did and uh it was just it was fun and it was fun seeing those places you know I probably might not have ever seen Oklahoma City without you know Marvin <laughs> And we, I think we got ice cream there too somewhere. What have been some of your favorite, what, or what has been your favorite venue to perform in of all those? Well, it's funny. I, you um, know, all of those symphony places are pretty amazing, but it was also really exciting. I got to sing at Carnegie Hall in like a Christmas concert with like the gay men chorus. And um, being on that stage is really fascinating because you know, when you're in the audience, as I was many times seeing Liza Minnelli in different concerts, um, it feels so massive. But when you're on the stage, the way it's designed, the audience doesn't feel that far away from you. So to be there looking at them was pretty cool. And also Barbara, other than a benefit, she never actually did a concert at Carnegie Hall, not a full one. She just did a couple of songs like I did. And I think I said something like, I'm so thrilled to be here at Carnegie Hall, even though you don't have a curtain. <laughs> we can have a benefit and you'll get a curtain, you know. So that was a pretty exciting one. And also Lincoln Center, every Fisher Hall, and um, certainly all these places in Australia that I've been. Um, it's it's pretty great. There's so many different places to places to play, people to see, you know, like the song says. <laughs> Uh, not not finished yet. I'd love to play like at the London Palladium. All the times I've been in England, which is many times, I haven't done anything there yet. That would be really cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
and so among the many things that you have done also is performing on quite a few talk shows so I'd love oh, yeah. to ask about some some of the most famous ones which are Rosie O'Donnell and Sally Jesse yeah. Raphael and oh yeah I was on Rosie O'Donnell very early on I think her show was only maybe a few weeks old I mean I think they just announced it was the anniversary of it and that was pretty uh, a little frantic because um, the whole setup was that I was in the audience and she would talk to me and she'd say, what do you do? And I'd say, I do Barbara. She said, really, you think you could uh, get ready and come and do it? I'm like, sure. And then I had a run backstage and her show was live at that time. And it usually takes more than an hour to get ready, but they had a great team there. And that was the first time I met John McDaniel, who's so wonderful. Um, so I ran in the back to get made up and uh, they were sort of taking their time because they want to do a beautiful job. And I was kind of looking at the watch. I'm like, we better like finish or I'm going to miss, you know, my chance. Um, so they, they finished me, but then it turns out because it was live, her previous guest was Meatloaf, you know, the, the singer. And she did not get along with him. He like put his tongue in her mouth and he took, first of all, he took up two segments. So by the time they got to me, she was like, look who's here. And then they just cut to me and I sang probably about a half a minute of happy days or hear it or hear it. And I never even got to meet her. <laughs> she was like in such a bad state because of him. Um, it's funny because, you know, on all those shows, they rehearse things and they don't make it on the air. So we were supposed to rehearse or she was supposed to rehearse the thing where they would hold up a Barber album and she was supposed to sing a song from it. And she, I remember she kept saying, I don't know that one. I don't know that one, you know? And I thought, well, I know them. So. Yeah, that was, it was sort of disappointing. It was exciting. Um, Sally Jessica Raphael was great. Uh, she was really nice. And I remember I have that video somewhere. And um, she said, not only does he uh, try and create the look of the great Barbara Streisand, but he sings just like her too. He is not lip syncing. And there's a cut to this woman in the audience. And she just goes like, you know, like a real funny, like, oh my God, wow, you know. And then um, Jerry Springer, which, you know, he was famous for, just people fighting and all those kind of things. But he was very nice to me. That was just a show that, you know, under the umbrella title, you know, female impersonators. So um, that was fun too. But also I went on a lot of shows in Australia and in New Zealand. I don't even have all of them because, you know, even when you do get a copy of these shows, that's a different format playing it. And, yeah. and then one of them, I was on TV in Scotland and we got a VHS copy. And after we did the show, pianist and I went back to our hotel and we put it in the VCR to watch it and the VCR ate it, <laughs> you know, it chewed up the tape. <laughs> so somewhere out there, oh, and in Hong Kong, I did a really fun TV appearance where they were talking in, you know, not in English, but they were translating it for me and they built a whole set with all these pictures of me and my Barbara. And I never did get that, that one, oh. which is too bad, but, um, I still have a lot. I have a lot of good clips from Australia, actually, uh, where I've probably done more TV than here, ironically. They have great press there. <laughs> so they get on TV. And David Campbell, who became a good friend, um, you know, he's on TV every morning. So I was on his show and uh, a lot of fun. And do you find that when you're performing internationally or even nationally, that people in different places have a different sort of perception of her or? They sort of it, it's interesting. I think, you know, she's so popular that there's really, I don't think, a corner of the world where somebody doesn't know in 
love her. I think in places like England, they actually like her even more because the press in England and out of America has have not been as mean to her as they are here. Like here, the whole legend of her being difficult and all this stuff has always followed her around. But I think elsewhere, they just love her. You know, it's just unconditional love. Kind of like um, Judy Garland, you know, who, even though she had a difficult life, the press, I think a lot of the times were were favorable to her. You know, I mean, they might've written about her troubles, but they usually didn't say she was trouble. You know, it's more of a, I guess she projected much more of a likable quality than Barbara, who would be the first one to say, you know, when she was starting out, she'd go to a party and she'd kind of sit in the corner because she was shy and didn't know anybody and didn't want to talk to anybody. And that was perceived as being aloof. You know, which I get because that's I'm I can be like that too. So, um, but yeah, they really love Barbara. It's funny I've never played in well I did play in Hong Kong and Singapore and Bangkok, but I've never played in Japan, and she's really big there. I I'd love to play in Japan, she, and she hasn't either. So, and she only played Australia once. I've been there like five times. <laughs> I think she thought it was too far. You know, even in her private chat, it's just oh it's too long. You know. <laughs> Because, I mean, it's interesting. It's tiring touring, even if you're her and even if you have all those first class amenities, just to physically travel. And remember, she didn't start doing these. You know, she did tours when she was like 25. And then all the other ones were after 50. So, you know, the time time to tour more comfortably probably was when she was busy in the movies. Yeah. Uh, But, you know, Sarah still says she wants to tour and. Um, I think Liza, if she ever could, would. So it's everybody's different. I, I love touring because I just love seeing new places and um, traveling. It's just fun, you know, and it always feels like the first time the audience, no matter how many shows you're doing, you know, I, I can't imagine ever walking through a show. It just wouldn't make sense to me. <laughs> so you brought up a little bit being like, press being mean to Barbara or about Barbara so that leads me to ask you how mean do you sort of let yourself be in the show and do you have a line oh yeah not mean I mean I I you know have some cute little jokes that allude to things you know like I I what did I say yesterday um you know they're trying to people are they want you to take the vaccine so you know you can get a lottery ticket or a college degree or a free beer or whatever if you'll get the vaccine. And I said, well, I'm offering a, a meet and greet where you can come to my house to the basement and have a little snake snack with my assistant and I'll, and I'll poke my head in and wave. And then I'll, you know, so it's almost, I'll, I'll poke gently at her, the, the personality that we all know about and hear about, but it's never mean because I'm too much of a fan to say anything that would be mean. In fact, that's sort of, the slight disagreement I had with Terrence McNally when he wrote this piece for me as Barbara and a lot of it was mean and I'm like well she wouldn't say this and he's like well it's not her it's a a version of her I said I know but she might hear about it and there was one mean thing actually about her sister and I didn't want to say it and I guess I had to say it in New York because he was going to be there but then we did the same program in Seattle and he wasn't going to be there and I cut it because I'm like, I've met her sister. I don't want to say anything mean about her. So, you know, there's that line of, 
people can say, you know, mean things and yeah. and then some people can take it a different way. Like I, I think, you know, Bette Midler was very friendly with Lainey Kazan, but she had a song where there was a dig at Lainey Kazan. And first I think Lainey said she was mad. And then she said, oh, it's just all in good fun. So, yeah. you know, <laughs> I mean, I would always get mad when people would make fun of Barbara physically. You know, it's you know, not really fair to make some make fun of somebody's physical or pick on their physical shortcomings. You know, like John Simon was famous <laughs> for doing that to Barbara too. Oh, I, I can remember one of his quotes about her. Um, but her personality is like fair game, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I remember Marvin actually said, you know, she has no sense of humor, but I can make her laugh. I think Sondheim said the same thing. <laughs> She's just a very serious lady, but I think she has a sense of humor. I mean, I don't think you could be that funny as she can be and not have a sense of humor. It's just, some people are just very serious and maybe uptight might be the word. Who knows? I think she's mellowed with time. <laughs> and she's also been famous, my God, for she's 19. Oh, yes. She's almost like she probably can't even remember now when she wasn't famous. That's why I think her book will be very interesting if she ever finishes it. I hope so. And so now that we come back around to Soundtown, I'd be curious to ask about the lyrics that he wrote for you and... Oh yes, that was um that was prior to the concert, the birthday concert that I did for him. Um, he came to the show, and he loved it, and he was so nice to me. And I remember he, I think, sent me a letter just telling me how much he liked it. And I asked him if I could use the quote, a quote that he had in the letter about just how great it was. And he said, "I'd love to let you do it, but if I let you do it, then I have to let everyone do it." Yeah. And I don't want to let everyone use my quote. And then he said, so therefore I will just have to keep burbling on about how wonderful you are to everybody, which I thought was just great. And that's how, that's when he sent Arthur Lawrence. I think he also sent uh, Michael John Lacusa to see me. And uh, he, I know he was going to send Harold Prince, but he didn't make it. Um, but yeah, so then I would say after he came to the show, is when she married James Brolin. And I decided I wanted to do in Buddy's eyes as in Brolin's eyes. So I know how he is about if you change his words and he finds out about it. So I rewrote them and I sent it to him for his approval. And he had, he approved it, but he said, there's one line I think that would be funnier if you did it this way. And I said, okay, well, why don't I try, you know, I was doing multiple shows at the time every week. So I said, well, let's, I'll try the one I wrote one week and then I'll try the one you wrote the next week and we'll see which one gets bigger laughs. And he said, okay. And I tried them both. And the one that I wrote got a bigger laugh. And I told him and he said, oh, that's fine. <laughs> and then one of the other lyrics, he actually called me on the phone and I have this message somewhere and he actually sang to me what he had in mind for the song. Um, and I haven't done that song in a while because she's now been married for a long time, but I could bring it back because it, it, it was interesting. It was fun to sing too, because, you know, that song is very high at the end. It's what keeps us from getting some wonderful people to play Sally because they can't sing. It, you gotta be not a, not a, a, a huge soprano, but you gotta really, it's high. <laughs> 
and I was always proud that I could, and brown, and brown. you know, it, it's high. <laughs> I haven't done it in a few years. I wonder if I'd have to change the key. Yeah, that was pretty amazing. Like, I feel like, wow, I almost wrote a song with Santa. <laughs> kind of, you know, again, like a, you're in a dream. Like, is this really happening? You know, <laughs> he's great. And have you written other special lyrics to songs or considered doing that? Well, yeah, like not not as often as I'd like to, but I did for this show last night because I took um, Free Again, you know, which was a big Barbara song in the 60s. And I rewrote it, to, you know, with pandemic friendly lyrics like, you know, Free Again, vaccinated me, free again. Because that's it's really a sad song. It means she's free because she broke up with some guy she was in love with. So now it's just about being free to move about the world again. So I was furiously rewriting that up until like showtime practically. And I liked it. It was fun. So I'll be able to sing that until it won't apply anymore, which is hopefully in the near future. We don't even have to talk about this yeah. dark time anymore. But yeah, sometimes I'll just change a few lyrics. Um, one of the big laughs I used to get was after her first Vegas thing. I would open the show with, um, I don't know why I'm frightened. I'm making so much money. And that always got a huge, huge, huge. <laughs> um, and then the rest of the song I sang normal. Because um, I know she, um, when she sang that, obviously she had special lyrics. And then she recycled it again when she came to Brooklyn and had more special lyrics about the same song. So um, it's interesting where our, our acts are similar and then they're different, you know, <laughs> it's fun though. Um, yeah, but I'd like to write more. Well, I actually would like to write music and lyrics. You know, I've written a few songs that are, that I just have on tape somewhere that somebody helped me like Glenn Kelly helped Mel Brooks write, you know, because I can read music, but I can't really write it down physically. But I hear, I hear music in my head all the time. That's one of the things when I met John Kander, he said, I never don't hear music in my head. And that's how I feel. Like if I'm walking down the street, I'm like humming, even when I have to do to myself or in my head, like when I have to do a show and be quiet all day, it's really hard to not just, you know, and then I'll be, humming something other than like what I'm going to be singing when I probably should practice what I was singing. But again, there's always, always a tune in there somewhere, whether it's my own that I just made up or, you know, something that I love and never get tired of hearing. Um, there's a lot <laughs> in there. And so you've been involved with two productions of Funny Girl, which I'd love to talk about, which you did with yes. Lainey yes. and then on Broadway with... Yeah, well, the, the big one on Broadway was, um, that was at the New Amsterdam Theater. And that was, you know, Seth Rudetsky put that together. And um, that was amazing because all these women were in it. It was just like, oh my God, you know. And just to get to walk down a staircase in a costume at the New Amsterdam Theater where Fanny Bryce was and seeing, um, not that much, but a little a little bit that was pretty amazing and it's funny because I had a lot of time off stage because it was a very tiny like cameo and I was interviewed by this uh guy you know he was trying to do a story on it for I think the New Yorker he told me his name but I didn't make the connection of who he was and basically I was 
like the only one who would talk to him. And since I knew so much about Funny Girl, he loved talking to me and we just talked and talked and talked. And I later learned it was Adam Green, son of Adolph and Phyllis. Oh. And the story didn't run in the end, but he was really fun to talk to. And um, I remember uh, I got a great picture with Whoopi that night. Um, and then I went to one with Kristen Chenoweth. And this is, I guess, before, well, they were some cell phone photos, but you still had like flash cameras and everything. So we posed for a picture because actually I made my entrance right before she did in that bride number. So I was backstage with her a lot, you know. And so we're about to shoot the picture and she went, is that in a flash? Because if that is a flash, you have to turn it off, it'll hurt my eyes. And we're like, okay. So we turned off the flash and the picture didn't come out. But I actually have a beautiful handwritten letter from her from a few years before that, when I asked her to sing in my show as a guest. And she said, um, I'd love to sing in your show, but I have family in that weekend. Could I possibly take a rain check? And then she said, even though I've never seen you, I'm a big fan and Audra loves you. Love, Kristen. And it was a handwritten note with her actual address on it at the time. So she's very sweet. So, um, you know, someday I'll maybe have another moment with her. But yeah, that night was really incredible. I mean, Kay Ballard, who I already knew was in it and, um, you know, Sutton Foster and every everybody was in it. It was great. And it was great to hear the whole um, The Funny Girl Overture you know, backstage, because as was the case with Marvin, where he would play the Barbara concert overture, I'd be standing there, you know, dressed like her and thinking, this is what she heard, you know, every night. It's the same instrumentation and everything. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. And then the other funny girl, that was a little <laughs> difficult because um, it was thrown together so quickly and it was my understanding that it would be everybody holding the scripts, like the early encores were. Yeah. Um, you know, the encores were not fully staged in the beginning um, that you just, it was sometimes, well, they didn't sit in chairs, but it was like one of those, you know, that's what I thought it was gonna be like. That's what they told me it was gonna be like. And it wasn't, they were putting on the whole show in like 10 days, not, yeah, maybe 10 days. So there wasn't a lot of time to uh, do it. And then, we did have Lainey Kazan. What we did was she 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 spoke before the concert and then she sang music that makes me dance. And I said, well, I don't want to sing music that makes me dance again in the show after she did it. So why don't we put in my man instead, like in the movie? So we did. So um, the problem was Lainey spoke for quite a while and then a head of the theater spoke for quite a while so we didn't start for like an hour and then we had to do this full version of funny girl which is like three hours <laughs> so it was a bit of a parts of it were kind of a train wreck but it was pretty exciting again to not this time it was beyond just hearing the overture it was yeah. hearing all the scene change music that she heard and so the music part of it was pretty great it was the, the other part that was difficult I, I have a recording somewhere of the um the first act the audio so that's kind of fun and there was a video of cornet man that was up for a while but then i can't find it anymore um and i remember my friend matthew Bourne, the choreographer he thought it was he thought i sounded great and he said but that choreography looks a little busy <laughs> I thought it was funny 
which it kind of was. And I'm, you know, I'm no dancer. So, <laughs> but it was fun just to, to literally be in her shoes, if you will, for, and you realize just how big that role is, my goodness. And also I, what I thought was interesting was, I still say one of the reasons the show is not done, at least not in New York, is because thanks to the movie, nobody, no one is going to make you forget her ever. When you watch this show, you're going to think about her. So if you, if somebody performs it and is nothing like her, you're going to miss those jokes. You know, like when she sees those pretty girls and she goes, wow, are those yours? If you don't say that that way, it's not, you're not going to get a laugh. But if you say it that way, then you're thinking of her. And I, and I thought the point of my doing it was instead of trying to make you forget her, I want you to think about her the entire time, which is what I want when I'm doing my show. So I don't know, maybe the answer is to have somebody really doing her when they're doing the show, or maybe just doing Fanny Bryce, but Fanny Bryce is, is fairly different than Barbara. So I still think somebody will do it one day, but now I see that um, Adina Menzel, who was saying she was going to do it, is now doing some show about the earth or something. So maybe she's, she's not going to do it at all, which is okay. <laughs> And so let's say some big producer comes up to you and says that they will be willing to do a full production of one of Barbara's either shows or movies for you to star in, and which would you choose? Well, now that I've done Funny Girl, who needs that one anymore? Um, uh, I would do Hello, Dolly on the stage or on a clear day, because those are just, I, I think I said before, my favorite Barbara movie is the first three. Like it's it's a three-way tie with those first three movies. So, and I think it would be fun to actually do Dolly, you know, the one that where age would not be an issue lest it might be now with Funny Girl or even Claire Day because um, Dolly is sort of ageless. Or maybe, you know, Gypsy, which Barbara wanted to do and never got to do. Yeah. Um, but at this point, I'll take the old lady in, in night music, you know. <laughs> which is the go-to role for, you know, well, she can always play that part. You know, I think Julie Andrews should play that part now. That would be amazing. <laughs> one more show. You just have to sit one song. <laughs> I'm wondering if you'd like to do some of either Barbara or one of your other divas that you do or, or men in some way. Oh, well, look, let's see. Who could I do? Um, well, Anthony Newley, like I said, it takes every part of your body to inhabit him so if he's singing um let's see what kind of fool am i who never found out seems that i'm the only one that i've been thinking of what kind of man is this an empty shell you know he just was so uh kind of un-british in the way he sang you know not holding back at all um pretty pretty great guy and great songs just such good songs that he wrote i loved his catalog of of songs um who else let's see um, it's hard when there's not music so I, mean, I would love to ask you what your favorite interview with barbara has been nor oh that she's done well you know for years she didn't do like any you know, yes. she was famous, you know, way, way before the internet and everybody being everywhere. The whole goal, I think, of a lot of stars, big stars, was don't give it all away. You know, limit your appearances. And Barbara's manager, who she still has, 
was really smart because everything she did was a huge event. So I think one of her first big interviews was with David Frost in like the 70s. And that's a really good one. And it's funny because she's very natural and relaxed with him. And I remember he asks her something about her son, who was then like five years old or something. And she said, oh, yeah, he has me wrapped around his little fingers. Uh, <laughs> like, I'll tell him, don't play with that toy or something. And he says, I'm not going to play with it. I'm just going to, like, pull it apart. You know, it's just really quite, she's wonderful talking about her, her kid, who she loves very much. And um, then her very first Barbara Walters interview, which was the very first Barbara Walters special um, which again, a lot of people copied that. It was her and John Peters. And uh, Barbara Walters would always ask provocative questions, you know? So she said something like, why don't you marry him? And then Barbara was like, you sound like my mother. You know, it was, that, that was a good one. And then I remember she did the Today Show with uh, Jean Shallot. Like, you know, they would have like 10 minutes each day of an interview to keep you watching. Usually just only if she had a, movie she wouldn't just like show up on Johnny Carson just for fun in fact there's a story uh, funny lady came out she was supposed um, to appear on Johnny Carson and I was in a summer camp and I guess you didn't have a tv in your room and I said she's going to be on Johnny Carson and I can't miss that so I brought a tv with me a little tv and I chained it to my bed and I remember Nikki Silver, the playwright, was at that camp and he like saw me watching a soap opera and recognized the actress or something. And then it turns out I didn't need to have schlepped it because she canceled on Johnny Carson and then he got mad and never had her on again, which is unusual because she's not known for canceling. You know, she didn't miss a show in Funny Girl for a year and seven months, eight shows a week. So she must have had a reason, but Johnny Carson was mad <laughs> so I would have liked to have seen it and all her early Johnny Carson appearances they're gone because in those days you know they taped over the videotape because they could use it again it's so sad that they don't exist but she was on many times I think so was Bette Midler and most of those don't exist either it's only the shows that were syndicated like Merv Griffin they had to tape them so they could send them to other stations so I wish his whole entire vault would be released because he always had people from Broadway shows and yeah. he, was, he was a big um, fan of all that stuff. I did some event a couple of years ago and a, uh, an old lady came up to me and she said, I used to book the shows for Merv. He would have loved you. I'm like, oh, thank you so much. <laughs> it was great. And what has been something that she said that has sort of surprised you or? Well, it's funny, I, mean, I I can remember so many things she said. Um, I mean, I, I know the first time I heard her say she never listens to music, that really surprised me because somebody that musical, I figured she most must love music. I mean, I know she said she doesn't listen to herself, that doesn't surprise me, but that someone with such a great voice and such great taste isn't like into music per se, though she's definitely into theater because literally every time she comes to New York, she goes to the theater every night. And it's quite, you know, and they always show her walking out with the playbill. And I wonder if she still has all of them. <laughs> um, I mean, I'd love to hear her like do a blog or something and review all the shows um, 
she's seen and what she thought of them all. Because yeah. um, she's seen a lot. I mean, I remember she went to see the last Follies, the Bernadette Peters one. And I thought, oh, good. Now she can, you know, make the movie. Um, <laughs> direct it and play one of them, you know. Uh, but I don't think I don't think she likes shows that are about maybe getting older. Um, she definitely likes to go see things, even if she doesn't like to listen to music. I mean, I mean, I know she once said she said I can't stand listening to pop music, but she still seems to do the album here and there that has like pop music on it. And I always think it should just be back to Broadway again, back to Broadway once more, back to Broadway forever. Because that's what we want to hear and that's what she does best. But I mean, I get it. She wants to branch out and, and you know, when she did Stony End and all those kind of things in the 70s, that really extended her, you know, singing and recording career. Because when she started making albums, that was really kind of the Beatles and all that kind of stuff. And a lot of that music was old then. And she really just got in on there before it was kind of over um even though it's it's still with us to a certain audience but it's not the mainstream anymore i mean you know remember louis armstrong had a number one hit with hello dolly i don't think that would happen today well i mean obviously stuff from hamilton is popular but not traditional i guess that's the word i always use to describe the broadway that i like traditional broadway old school classic vintage you know you got to think up new adjectives instead of corny or you know stuff like that that people who don't like it use against it yeah and so this might be kind of an odd question but what sort of advice would you give to Barbara if you could about what to do with these sort of next few years of her career oh god well see I just wish she would do like Rosemary Clooney um in her last years of recording she just did songbooks every every year called Porter you know she did all of them and they were all great and I think Barbara could do that. Um, like, again, uh, she has not sung a note of Jerry Herman outside of Hello, Dolly. And I'm like, oh, my God, there's so many songs that are perfect for her, from Mame, from all of his shows. That would be, I think, my first choice. But I think I would have no problem coming up with lists of things that she should do. In fact, I've, I've given these lists to people around her. And one, one of the songs I suggested did end up on one of her albums. So that was gratifying. I mean, I mean, maybe someone else suggested it too, but I think it was me. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, I would have no problem. I mean, I understand it takes a lot to get a movie going and I understand she's just not interested in doing eight shows a week, even for like two months, which, you know, you can do a play for a much shorter run than a, than a musical. I mean, you know, Bette Midler had to stay in Hello, Dolly for a year or they wouldn't have made money. But like Sarah Jessica Parker and Matthew are going to do Plaza Suite, I think three months or something. So Barbara could do a play with James Brolin. People, I think just as many people would go and see her in a play as they would in a musical. But I can't see that happening. But she has a recording studio in her house. So I kind of think she should uh, give us two albums a year. <laughs> yeah. There was once one of her very ardent fans, which which we all are, said, if she were hungry, we would be more, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> when you add a song to the show for her to do, um, is there something sort of about 
there has to be something about a song that would make it good for her to sing or yes like anytime i hear well anytime i hear just a beautiful ballad i'm always thinking of her like oh this could be a barber song this is totally a barber song and then you think of ones that exist that she never did like till there was you um which i've long imagined her singing i think i talked about that with barbara cook i think she said something like oh thank god she didn't do it you know cause, like because it's hers although barbara cook wasn't so fond of singing it actually which is which surprised me so yeah it's got to be something worthy of her so that's why when she's done things that are that where the material isn't fantastic it just seems like why would you waste that voice on an ordinary piece of um material yeah. you know like like on this new album she has coming out it's it's um called release me too so it's all stuff from the vault so there's a duet with willie nelson that she already released like six years ago with blake shelton so there was some reason they couldn't use the willie nelson one and it's available already it's it's quite nice but i would have preferred the song that's in my clear day show that she was that was cut from the movie with her and larry blyden who I said, he was this nice Jewish boy from Texas, which he was. Um, and I'm sure they must have had a great time working together because you know he had been married to Carol Haney and Funny Girl was the last show she worked on. So, um, and it's a lovely duet. And I, I've sung it in the show before this Clear Day show. And I'm like, why isn't that on here instead of this Willie Nelson? But I get the, the hook that maybe some consumer will say, oh, Willie Nelson's on this, so I'll yeah i'll buy it now but she has such a again ardent group of fans if it was literally just an hour of barbara going <sighs> they would they would buy it or reading the phone book as they say you know i used to do a routine about there's an album coming out of katherine hepburn just reading the phone book and not just reading the phone book but calling the people in the book abbott abigail four oh two three oh 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 there's no answer you know, that was always the go-to line when somebody is so great, they could read the phone book. That's her. <laughs> That's Barbara. Um, and so this episode will, of course, be used for Pride Month. So I'd love to get into some of that. And sure. my, my first question about that is, what do you think makes Barbara Streisand a gay icon? Well, you know, people always used to say, you know, that we love her and we love Judy and all those people because of their struggles and all that stuff. I don't really don't think it's that at all. I think the common denominator is talent, that we really love talented people. You won't see, a, you know, some, well, may, maybe I guess some guys like the Real Housewives and things like that. But I mean, like someone who is like untalented, I don't think would get a gay following. We have high standards all the usual suspects come up i mean barbara Liza, judy bet midler diana ross you know we just like great people and many of them women and that's i think you know barbara it's just she has such a long span of fans and not just the gays obviously but um, i think she'll always be such a major icon because of that. I mean, it's funny, it was Judy Garland's birthday yesterday when I did the show and I did her in the show. And I saw on Facebook, somebody said, big birthday to Judy Garland, the second greatest singer. And I thought, oh, okay, I guess Barbara is their first choice. And their first choice was Karen Carpenter. And then it led into a whole like typical Facebook argument. We're talking about Judy. You don't need to insult her by mentioning Karen Carpenter. I like Karen Carpenter, but you know. And then the funniest line, of course, was from Charles Bush, who said, 
well, I'd love to have heard Judy sing close to you, but I don't know if I would have wanted to hear Karen Carpenter singing Pretty Girl Milking Her Cow, which was an old Judy song. <laughs> so I would have thought Barbara was the number one they were talking about, but um, I, I wouldn't argue with Judy either. I mean, you can't go wrong with either one of those choices. But of course, Judy, a lot of that mythology is because the, the riots and all that. Yes. And also because she died young, which also kind of adds to the status. But again, it's even if none of that happened, the talent and everything that she did in her short lifetime, it's still, you know, phenomenal. I mean, a Starborn, the Judy one is just, that's one of my favorite things of all time. Yeah. I mean, in, in the show, I make a joke before I sing um, Evergreen. And I say, you know, I'm sure you all saw the Lady, the Lady Gaga, Bradley Cooper, Stars Born. The one before that was with me and Chris Christopherson. The one before that was Judy and James Mason. The one before that was with Janet Gaynor and Frederick March. I think Adam and Eve were in the very first season <laughs> I was born. Because um, it does seem like there's a long line of them. And there'll probably be more. Yes. I, I would say Judy's is the best one by far. As much as I love Barbara, the Judy version is just so emotional and and of course, Harold Arlen, that music. Um, I mean, Barbara loved Harold Arlen and worked with him. And yet I'm sure she never considered using that score when she did the remake, because it would be kind of offensive to the to Judy's version. So that's why it had all new new stuff, which is some great stuff like Evergreen and all the Rupert Holmes songs, like every, everything. It's just a beautiful, beautiful song. When he heard me do that, he said, um, I heard that and for a second I thought, wow, she's singing it in the old key <laughs> or something like that. Another great guy that I got to know, you know, for our tributes to Marvin. So Ben, what have your own experiences been like being a gay man in show business and in your? Well, it's been very interesting, certainly doing what I'm doing because of the perception of once you're in drag, you know, whether you're doing a, a you know, an intimate musical act like I'm doing or doing a wildly over the top fun you know RuPaul kind of thing um or playing a character and something it's all sometimes just put in the same category it's just drag which you know you got to call it something although somebody once said I'm not in drag I'm in costume which I thought was very interesting yeah um you know and I, I remember I was on a radio show in Australia with Diana Rigg was the other guest and I said, you know, I'm only dressing this way because I'm playing Barbara and I only dress this way on the stage. I wouldn't dress like that to vacuum. And she said, oh, why not? Which was really funny. <laughs> so, you know, whatever makes anybody happy. Some people dress up because they just like the whole dress up aspect. I'm just dressing up because it helps the audience accept me as her more. I mean, like, you know, there's a, a, a guy named Joey Arias who's really talented and he Billy Holiday, but he doesn't look anything like Billy Holiday. He's white, first of all, and he's not dressed like her, but he's totally doing her voice. And I have done some shows where I'm dressed like me and I do all the voices. So I don't know, the the costume and all that stuff is getting a little tiring. So I want to make sure that we don't miss one of the things you did, which was Ken Page's musical Nightlife, which you- Oh yes, that was a really wonderful experience. I We did two workshops of that. And what it was, was um, 
it was, it was called Nightlife and it was about, it took place in one night in New York City, only over a span of like 50 years. So like the first scene was Little Club in the Village in 1960, I was Barbara singing um, Crime Your River. And then the next scene was some other place. And then in the 70s, I was in a scene set at Studio 54 where I sang Last Dance as myself, which was amazing. Um, and oh my God, well, Ken Page is so great that we had all these great people in it. So the first workshop we had um, Lilius White and Terry White. They jokingly called themselves the White Sisters. And we had Michael Park and um, Ellen Foley, I think was in that first one. Um, and then the second one is I think where we had Norm Lewis or is that the first one? I don't know, we did it twice. And both times it was like close to getting produced somewhere, maybe even Las Vegas, but it didn't happen. But it still could happen someday because it would just have to be updated a little bit to have the last few numbers be set now. But, but so, and actually this was way before the jukebox musical craze. So now it would really fit into that only I think it would be better because Ken is so talented in putting it together and maybe it'll still happen. And it was great because I got a chance to do Barbara and then be me in the second half. So um, it was a great experience. We did it first at um, the Manhattan Theater Club workshop and then at West Beth Theater. Um, it was really cool. We had a band and um, I loved it, loved it. And so bringing us up to the present day, you've begun to, of course, perform again in person. And yes, thank goodness. <laughs> and what has that been like after this? Oh, it's just great. I mean, in, in one hand, you know, it's been a long time. So it seems a little odd to be doing it after not having done it. But on the other hand, it's like as if, like that song, as if we never say goodbye. They're, it's like, oh, of course, it's just back to not totally normal, but it just feels so natural to be singing and have people in front of you smiling and watching them react to everything. And, um, and I've done, I did one show in Indiana at the Feinsteins that opened there. And then um, this one I just did at the green room. And then next I'll be in um, Provincetown next month. And then in St. Louis, no, in, in London in September and in St. Louis in October. So things are picking up. <laughs> Yes, yes. I'll have to do some more in New York again, though. It's nice to work at home and sleep in your own bed, which is what Barbara said when she sang at the Hollywood Bowl. You know, I can sleep in my own bed. This is wonderful. You know, <laughs> see, I love hotels. I'm not like that. I, I like traveling and being in hotels. I find them very relaxing. Yeah. You know, I'm not worried about my laundry or having to do something in, when I'm in my own house. But in a hotel, you just relax. <laughs> And what are some new ideas for songs or like a whole other Barbara show? Well, you know, I, as, as all of her movies slowly approach, you know, one by one, they approach milestones. So I already did the 50th Funny Girl, 50th Dolly, and now this is the 50th Clear Day. Probably the next anniversary show would be the 40th anniversary of Yentl in two years. And then after that, that would be 50th anniversary of Funny Lady. Um, but I'm always thinking of different things. And again, like I'll probably do a song or two from this new release me too that she has. Yeah. Um, 
I've thought of delving deeper into uh, Gypsy since she didn't get to do it and really wanted to do it. It was kind of sad that it seemed to come so close, but didn't happen. I'm, I'm always thinking of something yeah. uh, that I could have her do through me. <laughs> and I'd love to record more, like in both in the studio and I'd love to do another live album because that live album I did in London was, you know, 20 years ago. So there's so much in there now that's, well, not just dated some of the talking, but it's, it, there's so much more than I could do on a new recording today if I did it. And so I'd love to ask you just one last question, which is sure. having such a great career that you have had, what is a piece of advice that you would give to someone just starting out? Or? Well, you know, you just have to do what you really love. I mean, I know actors don't always have that luxury, like when you're in a musical or a play, and it might be something that you don't like, but you got to work, you know. So one of the gratifying things of doing your own show is um, I never have to sing anything that I despise. Yeah. I mean, almost never. So I would say maybe even if you're just pursuing musical theater and to, to, to where, again, you don't always have the choice or say in what you get to do in that, keep your own thing too on the back burner. Not, I mean, you don't have to do a, a cabaret or an album, but do things that really matter to you. I think it always helps to create your own thing. Not everybody wants to, but I think it's a good thing for all performers to do, to take sort of control where they can of what they're doing and what, what you believe in and what you really enjoy and also what people will enjoy too because I always think of that I'll think like oh this song I really like singing it but I don't think the audience would like it so you got to think about the audience too I go to such care to choose everything that I think that's the sort of secret to my success I really care about it and I well thank you so much for doing this this has been wonderful Listeners, thank you for tuning in, and remember to come back next time when I am joined for the last installment in Backstage Babble's Pride Month by Broadway legend Ken Page. Ken Page has appeared on Broadway in such groundbreaking shows as Cats, where he played Old Deuteronomy, and Ain't Misbehavin', both in 1978 and 1988. He also played Nicely Nicely Johnson in the all-black revival of Guys and Dolls, and replaced as the lion in The Wiz and a as a performer in It Ain't Nothing But the Blues. On screen, he made an impression in The Nightmare Before Christmas, Torch Song Trilogy, and Dreamgirls, among others. As a director, he has taken on The Fantastics, Barefoot in the Park, Carousel, and more, and he is the author of Café Chanson and Nightlife. So make sure to tune back in for that one, and thanks for listening.